Bible tells us so clearly that God loves to speak. He loves nothing better than for people to hear his voice. On the very first pages of the Bible, he speaks the world into existence, and then he carries on speaking to the world throughout every other page within it. He is the God who speaks and invites the world to listen. God loves to speak, but I think as much as he loves to speak, I I think he loves it too when we trust him enough to listen and then to obey and do what he asks us to do. There are endless examples of this found in the Word of God, perhaps none so clear as in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy, when God is speaking to Moses and speaking to the nation of Israel as to what it looks like for them to be a kingdom of priests. Over and over again, we see the phrase, Moses or Israel did everything just as the Lord commanded. In fact, that phrase appears over 50 times, reminding us again and again how God loves it when we listen and when we obey. Jesus tells us this too. In John chapter 15, he calls us friends, not not servants, but friends when we do the things that he commands us to do. And Mary, Jesus' mother, adds something about this too. In John chapter two at the wedding in Cana, she says, do whatever he, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. To which I always like to add in my mind whenever I read that particular verse, do whatever Jesus tells you to do, even when it doesn't make sense. It's how we have strived to live and lead here at Anthem Church. Listening to Jesus following him and doing whatever he tells us to, even when it doesn't make sense. And, and this relationship with Jesus, this, this gift of intimacy with him that enables and encourages us to, to listen and to follow, this, this gift of eternal and everlasting life is given to us by God in exchange for everything that holds us back and keeps us down. And our desire, our longing is that we want no one to be excluded from this gift. No one to be excluded from this life transforming joy and privilege of knowing Jesus in the fullness of who he is. It shapes everything that we do. But towards the end of last year, God began to speak to our eldership team about three areas of of emphasis, three particular things that we felt God wanted us to focus on. The first is this, the Lordship of Jesus, learning to to trust Jesus as Lord so that we are willing to surrender everything, willing to sacrifice everything and to learn how to say yes as as we follow Him. Secondly, the mission of Jesus, the mission to advance the kingdom of God and to make disciples, make followers of Jesus who know his voice, who love his presence and, do, and who obey his word. The lordship of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, and then thirdly, the people of Jesus. That means you and, and me and, and everyone else who is still to be added into the family of God as we share the good news and as we share the power of God's love. You, me, and everyone else uh, uh, equipped for the work of ministry. I, I'm 
super excited to, to take some time along with the eldership team to, to discover and, and along with you to discover and to unpack the implications of all of this for our church and, and, and to begin to see fruit for what God has called us to. And I hopefully you are stirred too, or at least hopefully you are intrigued with this foretaste of what we believe God has called us to do. But friends, I wanna say all that by, by adding this. We have not been called to be heroes for Jesus, who achieve great things for Him in our own strength. But instead, we are called to be those who learn to wait and those who learn, to, who, are, who learn to listen and then to follow Jesus so that He can do great things through us in the strength that He provides. Perhaps you've seen those black and white photographs or that grainy footage of the early aviators around the time of the Wright brothers, men who were called birdmen who strapped wings to their arms in the hopes of being able to fly. There's a picture that I wanna show you. This, this picture is of a gentleman called uh, uh, Franz Reichelt. He was an Austrian-born French tailor who plunged to his death in 1912 when he jumped off the Eiffel Tower when testing a wearable parachute that looked something like wings that he had made. Tragically, this event was captured on film. There was a lot of flapping, there was an incredible amount of courage, but the flight was over very quickly and the results were tragic. As we do our best in this season to listen to Jesus and to follow Him closely while doing what He tells us to do, I, I, I don't want us to be uh, like these birdmen. I don't want us to be a community of, of courage with frenzied flapping but very little fruitfulness. And I think the way to avoid this is found in Luke chapter 10 and Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 10 begins with Jesus sending out the 72 followers with the instruction to go and to advance his kingdom. And then right after that, Jesus shares uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan and, and ends by telling those who are listening to go and do likewise. But Luke chapter 10 ends with our introduction to two sisters, Mary and Martha, who react or respond very differently to a visit from Jesus. Martha takes charge and busies herself while preparing for Jesus's visit, but Mary does something very different. Mary does what, according to Jesus, is the better thing. She sits at Jesus's feet and listens to what he says. Now, we mustn't make the mistake of thinking that this is an argument for doing nothing. Remember, we were told by Jesus to go like the 72 and advance his kingdom. And at the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan, the encouragement to go and do likewise applies to us as well. But the story of Mary and Martha, the contrast of how Mary responded but to sitting at Jesus' feet reminds us that the importance of what or who comes first. The one thing that we must do above all else. 
You see, we can do all the important things of the kingdom mentioned in Luke chapter 10, and there are many more that are not mentioned in there, but still miss the one thing that is truly needed, slowing down enough to be with Jesus and to discover his rhythm of grace for our lives and for our church. And Jesus shows us what this looks like in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 begins in verse one with these words. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Throughout all four gospels, we see Jesus time and time again, slipping away in order to go and spend time with his father in prayer, listening to him and talking to him and receiving strength and power from him for what he was called to do. And friends, that's how we want to start the year. We want to, that's what we want to learn as this year begins. We want to start the year with a series on prayer in order to establish for some or to strengthen for others a lifestyle of listening to, of following and finding strength from Jesus and then doing whatever he tells us to do even if it doesn't make sense. Now Griffin kicked us off last week by teaching on the Lord's Prayer from Luke chapter 11. In fact, verse one continues. When he, when Jesus finished praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's the title for our six week series, a series in which we're going to learn about praying with faith. We're going to learn about the partnership of prayer and worship and the power of praying together. We're going to learn about prayer and fasting, fasting by the grace of God as an, as an expression of our longing for Jesus above anything and above anyone else. In fact, this series is going to build up to, to the end of the month, January 30th, where we're gonna gather for a time of prayer and worship and then follow that up with three days of praying and fasting, ending that time on February 2nd with a meal together as we enjoy our vision and volunteer night. More details on that will follow. And then we're gonna end the series about learning what it looks like to pray for others, particularly to pray for the gospel to ring out so that others can be changed by the good news of Jesus's love for them. It's exactly what Paul the apostle asks his readers to pray. He says this, pray for us that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, so that we may proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly and fearlessly. And just recently, in addition to that, I've felt the Lord challenge me from Psalm chapter two. Ask me, the Lord says, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. Today, what I wanna speak about is experiencing God's presence. And so I wanna invite you please to turn in your Bibles, if you can, to Psalm 84. Psalm 84, we're gonna be speaking about experiencing God's presence. Over the nearly 30 years that my wife Debs and I have known one another, we've, we've gone from those very awkward hellos when we first met one another to brief conversations to becoming really close really quickly. And the conversation in each of those journeys changed dramatically. 
In fact, for the last 27 years that we've been married, we, we interact and we talk in so many different ways, again, which has grown as we have, the, the longer that we've been married. Sometimes we talk about how to plan things together. Sometimes we chat about the way we should be raising our kids. Sometimes we daydream together. Sometimes we talk about how best to navigate family challenges or crises. Sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we disagree. Sometimes we fight. And often, although not always, often we are very quick or we are learning to be very quick to apologize. Sometimes we sit in the same room together without saying anything, and that's totally fine. The silences that we have now when we are together are very different to the awkward silences when we first met. And the reason for that is growing in closeness with someone in a relationship comes with understanding the nuances of moments and the nuances of seasons and knowing how to best respond and knowing what to do. That's true for my relationship with Debs. It's true for your relationship with anyone else. And it's true for our relationship with God. As we learn to walk with God, there are different moments. There are different seasons. There are different opportunities. There are different challenges, which means different expressions of our relationship with God are outworked and therefore different expressions of prayer. Sometimes, on the one extreme, as it were, we, 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 there are times where we gather together with others and we worship and we pray and it is often loud and it is often with, with songs that are sung and, and we jump from topic to topic fairly quickly. And that's contrasted with other times of simply being with God with no other agenda other than the joy and the pleasure of being with Him. Different moments, different opportunities, different challenges, different expressions of prayer. And so with that in mind, let's read from verse one of Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of my Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. 
This is a psalm or a prayer of how beautiful the presence of the Lord is. But the question I wanna ask as we kind of look into this in a little bit more detail is, is, is how, do you, how do you read it? How do you think it applies to you? Is it perhaps, Lord, your presence is beautiful and I pray that I could be there one day? Or is it, Lord, your presence is beautiful and I'm so thankful that I'm here? I think there are some who are watching this who, who read it like this, Lord, how lovely is your presence dwelling place, Lord Almighty. How I long to be there like the sparrows and the swallows. I'll do anything to be there, even if it meant being a doorkeeper. And I think there are others who read it like this. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. What a privilege that you would allow me to be here just like the sparrows and the swallows. I'm so blessed to be in your presence just as the doorkeepers are. Which one is correct? How do you read this particular psalm? I think the answer is found in the introduction, those few words that appear just before verse one. And it tells us that the psalm is written by the sons of Korah. Now, if we had time, we'd head over to 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Chronicles, which teach us that the sons of Korah were in fact doorkeepers in God's temple in Jerusalem. And, and so, this psalm is written by doorkeepers in the Lord's presence, writing that they would rather be exactly where they are as opposed to anywhere else. One day in your courts, they write, is better than thousands elsewhere. The Old Testament temple was heaven's intersection with earth. With earth. It was God's dwelling place here on earth. It represented God's presence. And it was accessible only by sparrows and swallows and doorkeepers and high priests. But when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus gave up his life, the, the, the curtain in the temple in Jerusalem was the, the, that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, not from bottom to top, but top to bottom, representing that this was an initiative by God, meaning that the presence of God that used to dwell in the Holy of Holies was now accessible to everyone who would put their faith in Jesus. And weeks later, as followers of Jesus gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out once again upon the, the followers of Jesus and filled them just as he used to fill the temple. And later, New Testament writers would, would teach things like, you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Both of those are, are what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. Or, or Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter two. You are living stones being built together into a spiritual house. In other words, a temple of God. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to, to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, we are now those high priests who had access into God's presence because God now dwells inside of each of us. Friends, if you are listening to this today and you are a follower of Jesus, you are the temple of God. You are his dwelling place and the presence of God is right where you are. Whether it's in the quiet of the morning 
when you're sitting by yourself, perhaps reading the Bible, or, or perhaps just simply sipping on a cup of coffee, and just you're alone with God and your thoughts, and knowing that that is sufficient to access His presence. But it's also knowing that God is with you, the presence of God is with you during the chaos of school, or work, or raising children, or for some of you, doing all three. And it's here, the presence of God is here as we gather to worship Jesus together. I say all that to say we need to read Psalm 84 like the psalmist who is in the presence of the Lord rather than us hoping to get there one day. Eugene Peterson, who writes a paraphrase of Psalm 84, gets it right because he says in Psalm 85 this, how blessed are those in whom you live whose lives become roads that you travel. So when we read verses like verse four, blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you, that's me, that's you. You don't need to look longingly across to someone else hoping that you could experience what they are perhaps experiencing. No, you are in the presence of God. Or verse five, which says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Or in some translations, in whose hearts are the highways to heaven. That's me and that's you. My strength is in God and my heart is a clearly marked six lane express highway right into the presence of God, not some back country road that I often get lost on. We say all that, but the question needs to be asked, if, if God's presence is with us all the time, then why do we need to do anything to experience him? What is the need for us to be intentionally kind of slow or, or quietening our hearts or for prayer or setting aside time to be with Him? Well, I'd answer that question by saying this. I, I think we'd all agree that there is a marked difference between being present and being experienced, of, being experienced as present, right? I, I mean, if you're involved in any relationship, you would know that to be true. Debs and I can be at home together or, or here at, at the church building, working during the week, going about our business. And, and in the busyness of the day, we are present, but we're not being experienced as present. That requires us to intentionally set aside some time, slowing down, doing things that we love to do together, like going for walks in nature outside of the city or going out to a restaurant for dinner, or perhaps something as simple as enjoying a cup of coffee together and some good conversation. You see, in, in those moments, we've gone from being present to being experienced, to experiencing one another as present. And the same is true for prayer. God is always present, although we aren't necessarily aware of that, but there are times when God is experienced as presence. Those are the times that we intentionally slow down, where we set time aside to be with God, where we quieten our hearts to listen to Him, where we do the things that stir our affections towards God. And then we begin to feel his love. Owning this building from which we do ministry into the city and beyond has been an absolute incredible blessing. I honestly still find myself walking around the building at times 
just breathless and, and, and overwhelmed by the goodness of God. I often find myself pinching myself because I, I can't believe that God has blessed us in this way. But owning this building has come with not unexpected challenges. And one of those challenges is the roof. There's been times in the rain that we enjoyed in the summer and the fall, which was fairly heavy at times, where the roof would, had sprung some leaks. And we'd come into the building, perhaps after the weekend, and we'd kind of hold our breath, looking to see where puddles had been, uh, had been formed. And there was a roof guy that we were working with, and he would come every now and then, and, and he would explain to us what would need to happen. But none of us on staff knew exactly the, the, the intricacies of roof repair. And so we would have to take whatever he said as fact. That was until Philip Betcher told us that he was a roof guy. That's what he does at Moody Bible Institute, amongst other things. He maintains and services their roofs. And... and so kindly, Philip has volunteered to meet with the roof guy on occasions and to explain to us everything that this roof guy was, was saying. And, and, and he has helped to set up a maintenance schedule and, and even to, to eventually help us to possibly repl to replace the roof and to have a plan for that. When I found out that Philip was a roofer, I think I understood a little of what Jacob felt after he had wrestled with the Lord. Surely there was a roofer in this place and I didn't know it. Now, I've known Philip for a long time, but only recently did I know that he was a roofer. You see, Philip was present all this time as a roofer, but I didn't benefit from experiencing him as a roofer, from, from, uh, from him being who he was until I realized who he was and then I called on him to be who he claimed to be, at which point he became immediately helpful and he was a blessing. Friends, we don't often benefit from the fact that God is present because we aren't calling on him to be who he says he is. God wants us to call on him as he makes himself known so that we can experience him as present. For those who are younger listening to this, I'm gonna to have to take a few moments to explain something that some of us who are older understand. Before internet and smartphones, there was this large book called The Yellow Pages, but so thick, very thin pages, filled with lists and lists and lists of people and companies claiming to be able to help in different ways. And so if you faced a particular situation that where you needed a repair of something or, or you, you needed to print something, you would go to the yellow pages, you would search through the book, you would find the people or the company that offered help, and then you would call on them to be or to help in the way that they claimed that they could. There's a Hillsong United song that says in the chorus, it's a song called Oceans, uh, uh, I will call upon your name. That's what you would literally do with the yellow pages, that you would call upon their name to do the thing that they said that they were able to do. But friends, we don't need the yellow pages, do we? We don't have the yellow pages, do we? We have the pages of God's word. And we can go through the pages of God's word and, and we can learn how God claims he, who he is. And, and, and 
he wants us to call on him as he reveals himself so that we can experience him as being present. Now those words, I will call upon your name, takes on a whole different meaning. We are calling upon God as he reveals himself. Look at verse 11, for example. God reveals himself in verse 11 as God is a son. Think about that for a moment as we are sitting on a cold winter's day. Think about that, that, that desire to be in a warm place like Florida or, or in Southern California, the, the warmth and the life that su the sun brings. That's who God says he is. Think about that spiritually. God brings warmth, God brings closeness, God brings life, God brings revelation and light because he is a sun and he is a shield. He is our protector and our deliverer. As he reveals himself, we get to call on him in the the way that he claims to be so that we can experience him as present. So how do we do this? How do we develop this lifestyle of calling on the Lord so that we can experience him as present? Obviously, one of the ways is that we read the word so that we can see how God reveals himself, so that we can see who God claims that he is. But I wanna give us one tip, one principle, as it were, as we begin this series on prayer, a simple encouragement, and that is this, let us be relentlessly responsive to every impulse, no matter how small, to pray. Let us be relentlessly responsive to every impulse, no matter how small, to pray. If, if you are busy doing work and suddenly your friend pops into your mind, set aside literally 10 seconds and take a moment. Lord, I pray your blessing and your favor and your grace upon my friend in Jesus' name. That, that's all it takes. Or perhaps you're driving in the streets and, and you hear on the radio a tragedy that has happened in another city or another nation. Take a couple of seconds to say, Lord, I just pray that you would move in power and comfort the brokenhearted. Or perhaps you're reading the Bible and you read a verse that reveals an aspect of who God claims that he is. Take a moment in that second just to stop and say, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me in that way. Look at verse 11 again. I mean, verse 11 is a wonderful template for us to pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are a son. I pray for the revelation and the insight that your light brings. And Lord, thank you that you are my shield. Lord, would you move in power in my heart? Would you protect me and would you stand strong as my deliverer? Lord, would you pour out your favor and, your, and honor as you promised that you would? And Lord, thank you that you say you would not hold any blessing for those who walk faithfully hidden in you, Lord Jesus. Prayer, calling on the Lord as he has made himself known enables us to experience God as present. Psalm 84 ends with this declaration. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I'm gonna ask you just to close your eyes for a moment if you don't mind. Lord Almighty, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. How is the Lord asking you to trust in him at the start of this year? Think about that for a moment. 
in that regard, in, in what way do you need to experience the Lord as presence? Or, or how does the Lord want you to call on Him? Just take a moment to do that. 10, 15 seconds. In what way is the Lord wanting you to call on Him so that you can experience Him as presence? And just as every eye remains closed, one of the greatest promises in the Bible, perhaps the greatest promise in the Bible is found in Romans chapter 10. It says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Perhaps that's you this morning. Perhaps you're watching this and you know that you are not in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. I spoke about that incredible uh, moment on the cross where Jesus gave up his life to pay for the sins of everyone who puts their faith in him. And at that moment, the presence of God is made available to everyone who puts their faith in him. Is that you today? Is God stirring your heart to, to cry out to him and to trust him and to call on the name of the Lord so that you can be saved so that you can be a follower of Jesus. If that's you today, I wanna to invite you right where you're seated, just to quietly to, to where you are, call out to the Lord. Lord, I wanna receive you this morning. I open my heart and I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I lay down my life, I surrender everything. Would you come into my heart and reign and rule as my Lord and Savior? But to everyone else who is listening to this, this is a year where we are trusting for people to be added into the kingdom. Is there a friend or a family member that you are trusting that they would call on the name of the Lord in order to be saved? Why don't you take just 10, 15 seconds to lift them up to the Lord right now and pray. Just bring that person before the Lord right now. Pray for them. Ask that Jesus would come into their hearts. I think when some Christians talk about the presence of the Lord, it can easily sound so mystical. Inviting, yes, certainly, but it often feels beyond our reach. Friends, I wanna end by saying, don't believe that to be true. Followers of Jesus are filled with the presence of the Lord. And, and through prayer, through being relentlessly responsive to every impulse to pray, God wants us to go from just not, go from knowing that He is present to experiencing that He is present. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that that would be what we would know to be true as we, as we begin to put into practice, as we begin to grow in our experience of, our, of your presence. Lord, may we, may we move from just knowing things about you to experiencing those things in our hearts and in our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that we would be a people, we would be a church that would take the time to, to slow down, to, to listen, to be aware of how you are leading us and that you would help each and every one of us discover the unique rhythms of grace that you have for us. Lord, as we respond to those promptings in our hearts to pray, help us to experience you as present.
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.